Chapter 5 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tavernet and his daughter. Though forewarned by Gilbert of Baron Tavernet's poverty, Baron Balsamo was not the less astonished by the meanness of the dwelling which the youth had dubbed the castle. On the paltry threshold stood the master in a dressing gown and holding a candle. Tavernet was a little old gentleman of five-and-sixty, with bright eye and high but retreating forehead. His wretched wig had lost by burning at the candles what the rats had spared of its curls. In his hands was held a dubiously white napkin, which proved that he had been disturbed at table. His spiteful face had a likeness to Voltaire's, and was divided between politeness to the guest and distaste to being disturbed. In the flickering light, he looked ugly. "'Who was it pointed out my house as a shelter?' queried the baron, holding up the light to spy the pilot, to whom he was eager to show his gratitude, of course. "'The youth bore the name of Gilbert, I believe.' "'Ugh! I might have guessed that. I doubted, though, he was good enough for that. Gilbert, the idler!' the philosopher this flow of epithets emphasized threateningly showed the visitor that little sympathy existed between the lord and his vassal be pleased to come in said the baron after a short silence more expressive than his speech allow me to see to my coach which contains valuable property returned the foreign nobleman labri said lord tavernay Put my lord's carriage under the shed, where it will be less uncovered than in the open yard, for some shingles stick to the roof. As for the horses, that is different, for I cannot answer for their supper. Still, as they are not yours but the posts, I dare say it makes no odds. Believe me, I shall be ever grateful to your lordship. Oh! "'Do not deceive yourself,' said the baron, holding up the candle again to light Labrie executing the work with the aid of the foreign noble. "'Tavernay is a poor place, and a sad one.' When the vehicle was under cover, after a fashion, the guest slipped a gold coin into the servant's hand. He thought it a silver piece, and thanked heaven for the boon. "'Lord, forbid I should think the ill of your house that you speak.' said Balsamo, returning and bowing as the baron began leading him through a broad, damp antechamber, grumbling, "'Nay, nay, I know what I am talking about. My means are limited. Were oh, you French, though your accent is German in spite of your Italian title, but never mind, you would be reminded of the rich Tavernet.' "'Philosophy,' muttered Balsamo, for he had expected the speaker would sigh. The master opened the dining-room door. Labri, serve us as if you were a hundred men in one. I have no other lackey, and he is bad. But I cannot afford another. This dolt has lived with me nigh twenty years without taking a penny of wages, and he is worth it. You will see he is stupid. Heartless. Balsamo continued his studies, unless he is putting it on. 
The dining room was the large main room of the farmhouse, which had been converted into the manor. It was so plainly furnished as to seem empty. A small round table was placed in the midst, on which reeked one dish, a stew of game and cabbage. The wine was in a stone jar. The battered, worn, and tarnished plate was composed of three plates, a goblet and a salt dish. The last of great weight and exquisite work seemed a jewel of price amid the rubbish. "'Ah, you let your gaze linger on my salt dish,' said the host. "'You have good taste to admire it. You notice the sole object presentable here. No, I have another gem. My daughter.' "'Mademoiselle Andrea?' "'Yes,' said Tavernet, astonished at the name being known. "'I shall present you. Come, Andrea, my child, and don't be alarmed.' "'I am not, father,' said a sonorous but melodious voice as a maiden appeared, who seemed a lovely pagan statue, animated. Though of the utmost plainness, her dress was so tasteful and suitable that a complete outfit from a royal wardrobe would have appeared less rich and elegant. "'You are right,' he whispered to his host. "'She is a precious beauty.' "'Do not pay my poor girl too many compliments.' said the old Frenchman carelessly, for she comes from the nunnery school, and may credit them. Not that I fear that she will be a coquette, he continued, just the other way, for the dear girl does not think enough of herself, and I am a good father, who tries to make her know that coquetry is a woman's first power. Andrea cast down her eyes and blushed. Whenever her endeavor, she could not but overhear this singular theory. "'Was that told to the lady at convent? And is that a rule in religious education?' queried the foreigner, laughing. "'My lord, I have my own ideas, as you may have noticed. I do not imitate those fathers who bid a daughter play the prude and be inflexible and obtuse, go mad about honor, delicacy, and disinterestedness.' fools they are like seconds who lead their champion into the lists with all the armor removed and pit him against a man armed at all points no my daughter andrea will not be that sort though reared in a rural den at tavernay though agreeing with the master about his place the baron deemed it duty to suggest a polite reproof that is all very well but i know tavernay still be that as it may and far though we are from the sunshine of versailles palace my daughter is going to enter the society where i once flourished she will enter with a complete arsenal of weapons forged in my experience and recollections but i fear my lord that the convent has blunted them just my luck my daughter is the only pupil who took the instructions as in earnest and is following the gospel am i not ill-fated the young lady is an angel returned balsamo and really i am not surprised at what i hear andrea nodded her thanks and they sat down at table eat away if hungry that is a beastly mess which Labrie has hashed up 
call you partridges so you slander your feast game birds in may shot on your preserves mine my good father left me some but i got rid of them long ago i have not a yard of land that lazy bones gilbert only good for mooning about stole a gun somewhere and done a bit of poaching he will go to jail for it and a good riddance but andrea likes game and so far i forgive the boy balsamo contemplated the lovely face without perceiving a twinge wrinkle or color as she helped them to the dish cooked by Labrie, furnished by gilbert and maligned by the baron are you admiring the salt dish again baron no the arm of your daughter capital the reply is worthy the gallant richelieu that piece of plate was ordered of goldsmith lucas by the regent of orleans subject the amours of the bacchant and satyrs rather free more than free obscene but balsamo admired the calm unconcern of andrea not blenching as she presented the plate do eat said the host do not fancy that another dish is coming for you will be dreadfully disappointed excuse me father interrupted the girl with habitual coolness but if nicole has understood me she will have made a cake of which i told her the recipe you gave nicole the recipe of a cake your waiting-maid does the cooking now eh the next thing will be your doing it yourself do you find duchesses and countesses playing the kitchen wench on the contrary the king makes omelettes for them gracious that i have lived to see women cooks under my roof pray excuse my daughter baron we must eat father rebuked andrea tranquilly de chapelaguet she called out and the girl brought in a pancake of appetizing smell i know one who won't touch the stuff cried tavernet furiously dashing his plate to pieces but the gentleman perhaps will said the lady coldly by the way father that leaves only seventeen pieces in that set which comes to me from my mother the guest's spirit of observation found plenty of food in this corner of life in the country the salt dish alone revealed a facet of tavernet's character or rather all its sides from curiosity otherwise he stared at andrea with such perseverance that she tried to frown him down but finally she gave way and yielded to his mesmeric influence and command meanwhile the baron was storming grumbling snarling and nipping the arm of Labrie, who happened to get into his way he would have done the same to nicole's when the baron's gaze fell on her hands just look at what pretty fingers this lass has he exclaimed they would be supremely pretty only for her kitchen work having made corns at the tips that is right perk up my girl i can tell you my dear guest that nicola gay is not a prude like her mistress and compliments do not frighten her watching the baron's daughter balsamo noticed the highest disdain on her beauteous face he harmonized his features with hers and this pleased her spite of herself 
for she looked at him with less harshness, or better, with less disquietude. "'This girl, only think,' continued the poor noble, chucking the girl's chin with the back of his hand, "'was at the nunnery with my daughter and picked up as much schooling. She does not leave her mistress a moment.' This devotion would rejoice the philosophers who grant souls to her class. Father, Nicole stays with me because I order her to do so, observed Andrea discontented. By the curl of the servant's lip, Balsamo saw that she was not insensible to the humiliations from her proud superior. But the expression flitted, and to hide a tear, perhaps, the girl looked aside to a window on the yard. Everything interested the visitor, and he perceived a man's face at the panes. Each in this curious abode had a secret, he thought. I hope not to be an hour here without learning Andreas. Already I know her father's, and I guess Nicole's. Tavernet perceived his short absence of mind. What? Are you dreaming? he questioned. We are all at it here, but... You might have waited for bedtime. Reverie is a catching compliment. My daughter broods, Nicole is wool-gathering, and I get puzzling about that dawdler who killed these birds, and dreams when he kills them. Gilbert is a philosopher, like Le Brie. I hope you are not friendly with them. I forewarn you that philosophers do not go down with me. "'They are neither friends nor foes to me,' replied the visitor. "'I do not have anything to do with them.' "'Very good. Sounds. They are scoundrelly vermin, more venomous than ugly. They will ruin the monarchy with their maxims, like people can hardly be virtuous under a monarchy, or genuine monarchy is an institution devised to corrupt popular manners and make slaves, or yet—' Royal authority may come by the grace of God, but so do plagues and miseries of mankind. Pretty flummery all this. What good would a virtuous people be, I beg? Things are going to the bad, since His Majesty spoke to Voltaire and read Diderot's book. At this, Balsamo fancied again to spy the pale face at the window, but it vanished as soon as he fixed his eyes upon it. "'Is your daughter a philosopher?' he asked, smiling. "'I do not know what philosophy is. "'I only know that I like serious matters,' was Andrea's reply. "'The most serious thing is to live. "'Stick to that,' said her father. "'But the young lady cannot hate life,' said the stranger. "'All depends,' she said. "'Another stupid saying,' interrupted Tavernet. "'That is just the nonsense my son talks. "'I have the misfortune to have a son. "'The Viscount of Tavernet is Cornet in the Dauphine's horse guards. "'A nice boy. Another philosopher. "'The other day he talked to me about doing away with Negro slavery. "'What are we to do for sugar?' I retorted for I like my coffee heavily sweetened, as does Louis the Fifteenth. We must do without sugar to benefit a suffering race. Suffering monkeys, I returned, and that is paying them a compliment. 
whereupon he asserted that all men were brothers. Madness must be in the air. I, brother of a blackamoor. This is going too far, observed Balsamo. Of course I told you I was in luck. My children are one an angel, the other an apostle. Drink, though my wine is detestable. I think it exquisite, said the guest, watching Andrea. Then you are a philosopher. In my time we learnt pleasant things. We played cards, fought duels, though against the law, and wasted our time on duchesses and money on opera dancers. That is my story in a nutshell. Tavernet went wholly into the opera house, which is all I sorrow for, since a poor noble is nothing of a man. I look aged, do I not? Only because I am impoverished and dwell in a kennel, with a tattered wig and a gothic coat. But my friend the Marshal Duke, with his house in town and two hundred thousand a year, he is young, in his new clothes, and brushed up perukes. He is still alert, brisk, and pleasure-seeking, though ten years my senior. My dear sir, ten years. I am astonished that, with powerful friends like the Duke of Richelieu, you quitted the court. Only a temporary retreat, and I am going back one day said the lord, darting a strange glance on his daughter, which the visitor intercepted. "'But I suppose the duke befriends your son?' "'He holds the son of his friend in horror, for he is a philosopher, and he execrates them.' "'The feeling is reciprocal,' observed Andrea with perfect calm. "'Clear away, Legay.' Startled from her vigilant watch on the window, the maid ran back to the table. "'We used to stay at the board at two a.m. We had luxuries for supper then, that's why, and we drank when we could eat no more. But how can one drink vinegar when there is nothing to eat? Legay, let us have the maraschino, provided there is any.' "'Liquors?' said Andrea to the maid who took her orders from the baron thus second-hand. Her master sank back in his armchair and sighed with grotesque melancholy while keeping his eyes closed. "'Albeit the duke may execrate your son, quite right, too, as he is a philosopher,' said Balsamo. "'He ought to preserve his liking for you, who are nothing of the kind. I presume you have claims on the king whom you must have served.' Fifteen years in the army. I was the marshal's aide-de-camp, and we went through the Mahon campaign together. Our friendship dates from, let me see, the famous siege of Philipsburg, 1742 to 1743. Yes, I was there and remember you. You remember me at the siege? Why, what is your age? "'Oh, I am no particular age,' replied the guest, holding up his glass to be filled by Andrea's fair hand. The host interpreted that his guest did not care to tell his years. "'My lord, allow me to say that you do not seem to have been a soldier, 
than as it is twenty-eight years ago, and you are hardly over thirty. Andrea regarded the stranger with the steadfastness of deep curiosity. He came out in a different light every instant. I know what I'm talking about, the famous siege where the Duke of Richelieu killed in a duel his cousin the Prince of Lixen. The encounter came off on the highway, by my fay, on our return from the outposts, on the embankment to the left, he ran him through the body. I came up as Prince Dupont, held the dying man in his arms. He was seated on the ditch-bank while Richelieu tranquilly wiped his steel. Oh, my honor, my lord, you astound me. Things passed as you describe. Stay. You wore a captain's uniform then, in the Queen's light horse guards. So badly cut up at Fontenoy. Were you in that battle, too? jeered the baron. No, I was dead at that time, replied the stranger calmly. The baron stared, Andrea shuddered, and Nicole made the sign of the cross. To resume the subject, I recall you clearly now, as you held your horse and the duke's while he fought. I went up to you for an account, and you gave it. They called you the little Chevalier. Excuse me not remembering before, but thirty years change a man. To the health of Marshal Richelieu, my dear Baron. But, according to this, you would be upward of fifty. I am of the age to have witnessed that affair. The Baron dropped back in the chair so vexed that Nicole could not help laughing. But Andrea, instead of laughing, mused with her looks on the mysterious guest. He seemed to await this chance to dart two or three flaming glances at her, which thrilled her like an electrical discharge. Her arms stiffened, her neck bent, she smiled against her will on the hypnotizer and closed her eyes. He managed to touch her arm, and again she quivered. "'Do you think I tell a fib in asserting I was at Philipsburg?' he demanded. "'No, I believe you,' she replied with a great effort. "'I am in my dotage,' muttered Tavernay, "'unless we have a ghost here.' "'Who can tell?' returned Balsamo with so grave an accent that he subjugated the lady and made Nicole stare. "'But if you were living at the siege, you were a child of four or five. I was over forty. The baron laughed, and Nicole echoed him. You do not believe me. It is plain, though, for I was not the man I am. This is a bit of antiquity, said the French noble. Was there not a Greek philosopher? These vile philosophers seem to be of all ages. Who would not eat beans because they contained souls, like the negress according to my son? What the deuce was his name? That is the gentleman. Why may I not be Pythagoras? Pythagoras? prompted Andrea. I do not deny that. But he was not at Philipsburg, or at any rate I did not see him there. But you saw Viscount Jean Barreau? one of the black horse musketeers rather the musketeers and the light cavalry took turns in guarding the trenches 
the day after the Richelieu duel. Barreau and you were in the trenches when he asked you for a pinch of snuff, which you offered in a gold box, ornamented with a portrait of a bell. But in the act, a cannonball hit him in the throat, as happened the Duke of Berwick aforetimes, and carried away his head. Gad, just so, poor Barreau! This proves that we were acquainted there, for I am Barreau, said the foreigner. The host shrank back in fright or stupefaction. This is magic, he gasped. You would have been burnt at the stake a hundred years ago, my dear guest. I seem to smell brimstone. My dear baron, note that a true magician is never burnt or hanged. Only fools are led to the gibbet or pyre. But here is your daughter, sent to sleep by our discussions on metaphysics and occult sciences, not calculated to interest a lady. Indeed, Andrea nodded under irresistible force like a lily on the stalk. At these words she made an effort to repel the subtle fluid which overwhelmed her. She shook her head energetically, rose, and tottered out of the room, sustained by Nicole. At the same time disappeared the face glued so often to the window-glass on the outside, which Balsamo had recognized as Gilbert's. "'Eureka!' exclaimed Balsamo triumphantly as she vanished. "'I can say it like Archimedes.' "'Who is he?' inquired the baron. "'A very good fellow for a wizard, whom I knew over two thousand years ago,' replied the guest." Whether the baron thought this boast rather too preposterous, or he did not hear it, or hearing it wanted the more to be rid of his odd guest, he proposed lending him a horse to get to the nearest posting-house. What, force me to ride when I am dying to stretch my legs in bed? Do not exaggerate your mediocrity so as to make me believe in a personal ill-will. On the contrary, I treat you as a friend, knowing what you will incur here— but since you put it this way, remain. Labrie, is the red room habitable? Certainly, my lord, as it is Master Phillips when he is here. Give it to the gentleman, since he is bent on being disgusted with Tavernay. I want to be here tomorrow to testify to my gratitude. You can do that easily as you are so friendly with old Nick, that you can ask him for the stone which turns all things to gold. If that is what you want, apply to me direct. Labrie, you old rogue, get a candle and light the gentleman to bed, said the baron, beginning to find such a dialogue dangerous at the late hour. Labrie ordered Nicole to air the red room while he hastened to obey. Nicole left Andrea alone, the latter eager for the solitude to nurse her thoughts. Tavernet bade the guest good night and went to bed. Balsamo took out his watch, for he recalled his promise to awake Altatus after two hours, and it was a half-hour more. He asked the servant if his coach was still out in the yard, and Labrie answered in the affirmative, unless it had run off of its own volition. As for Gilbert, he had been abed most likely since an hour. Balsamo went to Altatus after studying the way to the Red Room. Labrie was tidying up the sweated apartment after Nicole had aired it when the guest returned. 
He had paused at Andrea's room to listen at her door to her playing on the harpsichord, to dispel the burden of the influence the stranger had imposed upon her. In a while he waved his hands as in throwing a magic spell, and so it was, for Andrea slowly stopped playing, let her hands drop by her sides, and turned rigidly and slowly toward the door like one who obeys an influence foreign to will. Balsamo smiled in the darkness as though he could see through the panels. This was all he wanted to do, for he groped for the banister rail and went upstairs to his room. As he departed, Andrea turned away from the door and resumed playing, so that the mesmerist heard the air again from where she had been made to leave off. Entering the red room, he dismissed Labrie, but the latter lingered, feeling in the depths of his pocket till at last he managed to say, "'My lord, uh, you made a mistake this evening in giving me gold for the piece of silver you intended.' Balsamo looked on the old serving-man with admiration, showing that he had not a high opinion of the honesty of most men. "'And honest,' he muttered in the words of Hamlet, as he took out a second gold coin to place it beside the other in the old man's hand. The latter's delight at this splendid generosity may be imagined, for he had not seen so much gold in twenty years. He was retiring, bowing to the floor, when the donor checked him. "'What are the morning habits of the house?' he asked. "'My lord stays abed late, my lord, but Mademoiselle Andrea is up bedtimes about six. "'Who sleeps overhead?' "'I, my lord, but nobody beneath, as the vestibule is under us.' "'Oh, by the way, do not be alarmed if you see a light in my coach, as an old impotent servant inhabits it. Ask Master Gilbert to let me see him in the morning.' "'Is my lord going away so soon?' "'It depends,' replied Balsamo with a smile. "'I ought to be at Bar-le-Duc to-morrow evening.' Bree sighed with resignation, and was about to set fire to some old papers to warm the room, which was damp and there was no wood, when Balsamo stayed him. "'No. Let them be. I want to read them, for I may not sleep.' Balsamo went to the door to listen to the servant's departing steps, making the stairs creak till they sounded overhead. Labrie was in his own room. Then he went to the window. In the other wing was a lighted window with half-drawn curtains, facing him. The gay was leisurely taking off her neckerchief, often peeping down into the yard. "'Striking resemblance,' muttered the baron. The light went out, though the girl had not gone to rest." The watcher stood up against the wall. The harpsichord still sounded with no other noise. He opened his door, went down the stairs with caution, and opened the door of Andrea's sitting-room. Suddenly she stopped in the melancholy strain, although she had not heard the intruder. As she was trying to recall the thrill which had mastered her, it came anew. She shivered all over. In the mirror she saw movement. The shadow in the doorway could only be her father or a servant— nothing more natural, but she saw with spiritual eyes that it was none of these. "'My lord,' she faltered, "'in heaven's name, what want you?' It was the stranger in the black velvet riding-coat, for he had discarded his silken suit in which a mesmerist cannot well work his power. She tried the rise but could not, 
She tried to open her mouth to scream, but, with a pass of both hands, Balsamo froze the sound on her lips. With no strength or will, Andrea let her head sink on her shoulder. At this juncture, Balsamo believed he heard a noise at the window. Quickly turning, he caught sight of a man's face beyond. He frowned, and strangely enough, the same impression flitted across the medium's face. Sleep, he commanded, lowering the hands he had held above her head with a smooth gesture and persevering in filling her with the mesmeric fluid and crushing columns. I will you to sleep. All yielded to this mighty will. Andrea leaned her elbow on the musical instrument case, her head on her hand, and slept. The mesmerist retired backwards, drew the door to, and went back to his room. As soon as the door closed, the face he had seen reappeared at the window. It was Gilbert's. Excluded from the parlor by his inferior position in Tavernay Castle, he had watched all the persons through the evening whose rank allowed them to figure in it. During the supper, he had noticed Baron Balsamo gesticulate and smile, and his peculiar attention bestowed on the lady of the house. The master's unheard of affability to him, and Labrie's respectful eagerness. Later on, when they rose from table, he hid in a clump of lilacs and snowballs, for fear that Nicole, closing the blinds or in going to her room, should catch him eavesdropping. But Gilbert had other designs this evening than spying. He waited without clearly knowing for what. When he saw the light in the maid's window, he crossed the yard on tiptoe and crouched down in the gloom to peer in at the window at Andrea playing the harpsichord. This was the moment when the mesmerist entered the room. At this sight, Gilbert started, and his ardent gaze covered the magician and his victim. But he imagined that Balsamo complimented the lady on her musical talent, to which she replied with her customary coldness. But he had persisted with a smile so that she suspended her practice and answered. He admired the grace with which the visitor retired. Of all the interview which he fancied he read aright, he had understood nothing. For what really happened was in the mind, in silence. However keen an observer he was, he could not divine a mystery where everything had passed quite naturally. Balsamo gone, Gilbert remained, not watching but contemplating Andrea, lovely in her thoughtful pose till he perceived with astonishment that she was slumbering. When convinced of all this, he grasped his head between his hands like one who fears his brain will burst from the overflow of emotions. "'Oh, to kiss her hand!' he murmured in a gush of fury. "'Oh, Gilbert, let us approach her. I so long to do it.' Hardly had he entered the room than he felt the importance of his intrusion. The timid if not respectful son of a farmer, to dare to raise his eyes on that proud daughter of the peers? If he should touch the hem of her dress, she would blast him with a glance. The floorboards creaked under his wary tread, but she did not move, though he was bathed in cold perspiration. She sleeps. Oh, happiness, she sleeps, he panted, drawing with irresistible attraction within a yard of the statue of which he took the sleeve and kissed it. Holding his breath, Slowly he raised his eyes, seeking hers. They were wide open, but still saw not. 
intoxicated by the delusion that she expected his visit and her silence was consent, her quiet a favor. He lifted her hand to his lips and impressed a long and feverish kiss. She shuddered and repulsed him. "'I am lost,' he gasped, dropping the hand and beating the floor with his forehead. Andrea rose as though moved by a spring under her feet, passed by Gilbert, crushed by shame and terror and with no power to crave pardon, and proceeded to the door. With high-held head and outstretched neck, as if drawn by a secret power toward an invisible goal, she opened the door and walked out on the landing. The youth rose partly and watched her take the stairs. He crawled after her, pale, trembling, and astonished. She is going to tell the baron and have me scourged out of the house. No. She goes up to where the guest is lodged, for she would have rung or called if she wanted Labrie. He clenched his fists at the bare idea that Andrea was going into the strange gentleman's room. All this seemed monstrous, and yet that was her end. That door was ajar. She pushed it open without knocking. The lamplight streamed on her pure profile and whirled golden reflections into her wildly open eyes. In the center of the room, Gilbert saw the baron standing with fixed gaze and wrinkled brow and his hand extended in gesture of command ere the door swung to. Gilbert's forces failed him. He wheeled round on the stairs, clinging to the rail but slid down, with his eyes fastened to the last on the cursed panel, behind which was sealed up all his vanished dream, present happiness, and future hope. End of chapter 5. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.